right, well, here we go. We're going to try this uh, interview style. And this is Greg. He's one of our elders here, Greg Bobrick. He's going to be asking questions and reading the scriptures from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Uh, we're going to be doing 2 Corinthians for, for a few months, but this first section in these first three chapters uh, introduce us to this God of comfort. You might remember a couple years ago we did 1 Corinthians, and so this is Paul's follow-up letter to that church in Corinth, and so the, this is the introduction to that letter. So uh, here's, here's what we can expect from God, that not only can we receive his comfort for hard times, anybody going through hard times, anybody need comfort, okay, yeah. Well, it's also how he equips us to comfort others with that same comfort. So here's some help for hard times. All right, thank you, Brett. So I'm gonna start reading in uh, chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Brett, what's, what's the background here, and who's this Paul and Timothy? Who are they? Well, of course, we know Paul is the apostle, the, the special representative of Jesus who has his uh, authority, has his inspiration, so what he's writing has direct authority from Jesus. It's, it's God's word. Timothy was like a son to him in the faith. He was a younger minister, kind of an apprentice to Paul, uh, well known to the Corinthians because he had served there. Paul had sent him to that church. And Corinth, by the way, is this major metropolitan, cosmopolitan uh, city in the region of Greece. It would be a little bit west of Athens. And Paul had originally, he started the church and wrote them that first letter we went through a couple years ago, which addressed them being a very messed up, dysfunctional church. Right? That, I know what you're going to say. Yes. Kind of like us, right? <laughs> we're just a bunch of messed up, dysfunctional people. But we, we found the Lord and we're, we're trying to be more like Jesus. So he was concerned about how that first letter was received since he had to get, them, get on them about so many of their issues. But when he received word from Titus that they had, they had, they're doing well, so now he's writing as a follow-up to commend them, to encourage them, uh, to explain a change of plans he has, which we'll get into yeah. next week, and to really uh, ec uh, endorse his own ministry, like to defend himself, because now he's the one dealing with all kinds of attacks from others. Yeah, so he addresses this to the church of God and all of the saints. So, so let's be clear about this. What does this really mean? Yeah, well, uh, of course, a church is a gathering of God's people, people that have been called out of the world to assemble as God's people, and it, that's why it's called the Church of God. It's a very non-denominational name, right? I mean, it's not a man-made name. It's, it's a church that belongs to God, or, or it's also called the Church of Christ. So that's a great name I think that we can all agree on. Um, we're the saints. Everybody in the, in the church is a saint. It's not just some select group of super spiritual people. Yeah. You're, you're even a saint, Greg. Saint Greg. Yeah, I don't know how that happened, but thank you, Jesus. <laughs> So why does Paul's greeting also include peace and grace? I'm just kind of well, curious. Yeah, the, the common Christian greeting that you see, which are great, two, two great words for being a Christian is grace is receiving God's favor that, you know, it's more than we deserve, the, the blessing of salvation. Peace is what we have with God because of Christ. Yeah. We're restored. We're not no longer enemies with God. Our sins have been forgiven, so we're reconciled. 
not only peace with God, but peace with one another. In the, in the Old Testament, it's called shalom. It was like that well-being, wholeness that only comes from God. All right, so we're gonna continue on in verse three there. So it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which ourselves are comforted by God. So when, when we bless God, it's different than he blesses us. You know, that's like we're praising him. Uh, so, so why is, what's the reason for this? Yeah, well, he says he's praising him because he's the God of all mercy. He's the God of all comfort. You know, mercy means we don't get what we deserve. Grace is like we get better than we deserve, more than we, mercy is like we don't, we don't get what we do deserve. So that's a set perfect segue. How does God's, like why do we even get his mercy and how does God show us that mercy? Well, I mean, what do you deserve? I mean, what do we all deserve? Uh, nothing. Yeah, we, well that, even worse, we deserve condemnation, yes. we deserve hell. And Jesus rescues us, delivers us from that because of his mercy. We don't have to suffer that. But there's all kinds of mercies we experience every day from being spared from hardships and griefs we don't even realize. And so, but when we do experience those things, that's when we go, have mercy. Not like Uncle Jesse on Full House. But, you know, have mercy, Lord. Don't, don't give me what I do deserve. Full House, eh? <laughs> Well, continuing with that thought, we talked about mercy. Well, what about comfort? How does God show us comfort? Well, uh, let's face it. We all go through hardships. I mean, it's just a part of life. It's to be expected. God never promises we're not going to go through difficult times and adversity. So he offers us comfort. And I mean, who doesn't need comfort when they're going through difficult? You, you just need somebody to console you, somebody to... Um, you know, you can cry on their shoulder, somebody that you know is going to just be there as a good friend and, and tell you it's going to be okay, you're going to get through this, there's somebody that gives us hope. Sometimes we know people are suffering, it's very obvious, they're going through adversity and, and physical health issues. Sometimes though it's hidden. I, I think just about everybody struggles with something silently, can be mental health issues, can be anxiety, fears worries, depression, it can be suicidal thoughts, and we just need somebody there to go through that with us, because nobody, nobody's got it together all the time. Nobody's living the good life all the time. Everybody has their moments, including Paul, yeah. right? Paul is, is suffering too. Some suffering comes on us because um, we just live in a fallen world, right? Uh, that's the consequences of life on a fallen planet. Jesus said the sun rises on the righteous and the unrighteous, and it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. So whether you deserve it or not, we all just experience adversity. Uh, but sometimes, though, it comes because we're serving God. Sometimes you suffer because you are a Christian. God doesn't spare us from all of that. He doesn't necessarily want it to happen. Right? Yeah. Uh, he doesn't want suffering. That wasn't his original intent. But because of sin in the world, he permits it. But he's still going to use it. No matter what we're going through, he's going to use it. I mean, so we look to him for help, hope, healing. He gives us all these different promises. He says, if you confess your sins, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to work all things together for your good, no matter what's going on. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I'm, I'm going to wipe away all your pain and tears. Now, that's probably not necessarily going to come right here now, but eventually. Um, 
Everybody's got struggles, but I don't know that everybody's got affliction, which is what Paul's specifically talking about. Affliction is more about, I think, suffering for Christ. It's about persecution, and it was going on back then. It's still going on today all over the world. So, so talking about affliction, how can this apply to us if, if we're not being persecuted? Because, I mean, we're not really persecuted here, are we? Yeah. I don't know that I can, I don't, I don't think we can really relate to it. Um, I mean, the worst persecution we probably go through is, is being silenced and shunned and uh, sidelined. Um, none of us are really being beaten or imprisoned or killed. And yet, you know, that's, that's going on all over the place. In fact, the word that Paul uses for affliction there in the Greek is this word thalipsis. Thalipsis. Something like that, right? Yeah. It, it, the idea of being confined. It's like being in a narrow place. It, it's, I'm in a tight spot. I'm under pressure. Um, there's, there's not much I can do about it. I'm hemmed in. And so everybody goes through those kinds yeah. of times to some degree. But here we don't really experience serious affliction like that. Even though, this is what bothers me, Paul says in 2 <laughs> Timothy, everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, right? So we're not really being persecuted that much. That's why I really admire Christians all over the world where they are being persecuted. What does that say? That, does that say something about us? <laughs> yeah, maybe we're not wanting to live a godly life. Well, what's interesting is places where Christians are persecuted, they're being imprisoned, beaten, killed, is that, man, you've got to be hardcore. You've got to be a really committed Christian, serious in your faith, which we're lacking, I think, so much here. Um, and yet what I also hear is when the pressure lets off, when the philipsis <laughs> is, is gone, um, even in those places, they begin to revert back to kind of the mm. casual, comfortable, consumeristic Christianity that, that we experience here. We don't really know what hurting is. Not that I want it. I'm not yeah. praying for persecution. We, what we need is revival and awakening. But, I, you know, you, LeBron James, right? But what, what is LeBron notorious for? I barely got touched, but I just it, fell on the ground. I, I was fouled. He's a flopper, right? <laughs> Uh, like, oh, you hurt me. Like, no, we didn't even touch it. But, you know, uh, that's the way we can be, too. Like, oh, we're, we're hurting. We're, such un we're suffering so much. No, not really. You know, um, we draw attention to, to our suffering when Christians in other places are really suffering serious persecution. So we, we again, I prefer comfortable living, but I want to have comfort for living. And... That means that we're going to go through hard times, and yes, we avoid the hard times. For sure. So why is it important for us to know that, that God is the God of comfort, and what specific ways does he comfort people in that affliction that you were talking about? Well, I think we, we, uh, we think of comforting as being kind of a soft word, kind of like rock, rocking a baby, you know, you're, you're uh, you know, shushing it, and you're, you're consoling it when the, when the baby's crying. And, uh, you know, it's going to be okay. They're there. You're all right. Comfort is a, so much more of a stronger term than that. Uh, you know, if you look at the Latin for it, comfort means with strength. And so it's a strengthening that comes from God. In fact, Jesus in John 14 through 16 says, I'm going to go back into heaven and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he calls him the comforter. At least that's the way it gets translated. Yeah the comforter, but it's that same word of strengthening. So really you could call him the strengthener, mm. the Holy Spirit. It, literally in the Greek, it's paraclete. He's called the paraclete 
meaning the one called alongside. So he comes alongside us. More than that, he indwells us to strengthen us to live for, for Christ and whatever we're going through. So first, you know, he, he's, he's saying, all right, I'm going to help you through this, but I'm going to strengthen you for more so that you can endure this. So you've got comfort to cope and you've got strength to endure to not give up. Okay, that was some good stuff there. So is this saying that we suffer so that we can help others because maybe we've gone through something? Yeah, I, I don't think it means that like we suffer so that we can help others. I think he, he's saying we suffer and then we can help others. So God comforts us, works in us, and then works through us to help others. So we learn how to comfort others through that. It's, it's something that we can you know, recycle. It's something we can re-gift to somebody else it doesn't you don't have to have the same kind of affliction that I'm going through it just as long as you've received some yeah. comfort from God you can learn to comfort others so um, you know think about it in, in this way this is our big idea is to pass on God's comfort to others in hardship you are a conduit you are a channel to pass on what God has given you to others I mean I think about um, trying to connect people like I haven't been through something so you, you don't I don't have to experience the same kind of affliction that you do. Like, if, if you're grieving, maybe I haven't experienced grief. So what I'm going to do is try and connect you with somebody who has experienced grief. Because all I can do is, like, have sympathy for you. Somebody who is grieving has experienced. They can empathize. They can feel with you. They've been there, done that. Um, somebody who's addicted, like, I can't really help them because I've never been addicted like that other than to... The cookies out in the lobby. You yeah, know, like a, me too. Yeah, I have trouble with that. <laughs> Those were good, though. <laughs> uh, I, can't, I can't really help somebody that way. So we have a group called Living in the Light. Just like we have for grief, we have a group called Grief Share, where people are helping one another and, and Living in the Light. They help each other with addiction. I think of our, our fellow elder, our brother Juan Pardo. Some of you heard us say that you know, he, his cancer returned, and so he had some very serious surgery uh, this past week. He's recovering, doing well, but he's still got a long way to go, a lot of recovery, a lot of rehab. But before he went in there, there was somebody else, another man in the church, who was going through a similar kind of cancer. And so Juan was able to come alongside him and kind of walk with him through that. He could help him in a way that I couldn't. So all I can do is, is kind of like, before every Sunday, you know, before I come out here, I will pray, Holy Spirit, flow through this place like a holy anointing oil bringing peace and deliverance and healing to people because he can do for people what you know i i can't he, he knows what you really need for sure and and you make some good points there and i just want to kind of segue off that first keep prayer uh keep one in your prayers um he really needs them and his wife stacy um but you were talking about how god um gives us you know, puts us around other Christians who might have gone through similar things. So that's why it's important to be in a small group, to uh, maybe be serving in some kind of team here at church, because you got like-minded people that, you know, if I know somebody that has gone through something, like they need help with, you know, they eat too many cookies, I'll, I'll send them to Brett, right? I can't help with that. <laughs> It's myself. that chocolate, right? <laughs> so how are some of the ways that we can fail to show comfort? Well, yeah, you, we talked earlier about being a messed up dysfunctional church, and we are, right? We're, we make mistakes. We're not perfect. And so trying to have a ministry of mercy in a messed up church can be difficult because we think we're being helpful, 
when we're, we actually might be insensitive, like when we tell somebody, these are like things not to say, like, I know how you feel. Well, you, you don't really know how they feel because you're not going through the exact same thing. So when you say that, you're, you're minimizing what, what they're going through. I mean, really only Jesus knows what somebody is going through. Or you might say, well, you know, it could be worse, which is downplaying their hurt again. That's never right? a good one. No, because you're, you're comparing what they're going through with what somebody else is going through that's even worse. And so they, they could even feel bad about, about feeling bad. <laughs> so it's <laughs> bad to feel bad about feeling bad. So you might say something like, well, uh, God's working it all for your good, right? Which is, is true. But in the moment, that's probably not what they need to hear because that kind of comes off like Christianese, a cliche. And what they, what they need to hear is just, you know, you're with them, you're, you're hurting with them, you're not downplaying what they're going through. Uh, you might say, well, you know, God has a plan through all this. Like, well, who are you to know what God's plan is? You don't know. You, don't pretend like you know what God's purpose is through all this. That can make them feel awful, too, because now you're saying, well, God's fault that you're feeling this way. God's fault you're suffering. You're blaming God now for that. So don't, don't do that either. Or you might say something like, uh, I'll pray for you, which is good, but you better follow through with that. In fact, I would suggest don't wait. Pray with them right then and there in the moment. Even if you're on the phone, stop and, and pray with them. Yeah, that's definitely a good practice if you ever can do that. Pray with them right now because if you say you're going to pray for them later, you might, you might not. Just pray with them right yeah. there. And it, it actually gives them some kind of consoling too, right? Yeah, so sometimes we mess up and we don't say the right things. So sometimes it's better just to be silent. I think about Job and his three miserable friends, right? You have the story of Job in the Old Testament where Job has experienced tremendous grief and loss and, and physical pain. So three of his buddies show up to comfort him, but he calls them miserable comforters because all they do is they blame Job for what he's suffering. They make all kinds of assumptions about God's purpose and God's plan. They just add insult to injury, rub salt in the wound, and uh, they're just totally wrong. So at the end of the story, you know, God calls them out and says, you guys are, you don't know what you're talking about. Shut up. Um, and he ends up blessing Job with even more because he, he endured that kind of suffering. So Yeah, they should have been better listeners, right? I mean, God gave us two ears, one mouth. It's something I've learned over the years as well. Just listen. Sometimes people just want you to listen. So... What was dad, it? Dad humor, sorry. Yeah. I know. That was actually pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you know, thinking about grief, when, um, when I'm at funerals, a lot of times I will tell this story. I love this story. Years ago, uh, Leo Bascaglia tells about a contest down in Texas where he was one of the judges to find out who was the most caring child in the community. And the winner turned out to be this four-year-old little boy whose elderly neighbor had just recently lost his wife. And so uh, the, the, the old man was sitting on his front porch, you know, grieving. The little boy next door on his porch sees his heartbroken neighbor and jumps off his porch and toddles over there and crawls up into his neighbor's lap. And, of course, mom is watching from her own front porch and a little... Like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, a little concerned about what, what's he saying. So finally, when he, he toddles back home, he says, she says, Honey, what did you say to him? And he said, Oh, nothing, Mama. I just helped him cry which is sometimes that's all you can do. It's better to keep your mouth shut <laughs> and just be there to provide just the comfort 
of your presence. I wish they had done that for Job, you know. So, hey, so let's assure people of God's care. God's with you. God sees. He knows. He hasn't abandoned you. I know it may not feel like it this time. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know God's plan. But I know that he will walk with you through this. And, and I'm very thankful for that, for sure. So moving on to 5 and 7, because there's a lot to unpack here. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So there's a lot of comfort and suffering there. Uh, should we expect to suffer? Well, I, yeah, I'd say so. Uh, you know, Jesus suffered, and he actually said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, he says, blessed are those who suffer for righteousness sake, which again is the idea of persecution. So you're blessed when you're suffering that way. Paul, who again suffered all kinds of miserable things, shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonments, and he, uh, he says in Philippians, I think, 3, um, that we share in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. So yeah, we should expect that. Um, but Jesus endured, and so can we, and Paul endured, so we can too. Um, he's going to be there to help us through that, because if... Paul says if there's abundant suffering, there's also abundant comfort. And we have this promise in Hebrews 4 that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence that we will receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Mm. So that tells me, like, he'll give it to you when you need it, not necessarily before. Because I think about, well, what if we were being persecuted? What if we were being beaten? and imprisoned and killed and tortured and all that, would I be able to go there, to, to, to endure that? Would I keep my faith? And, you know, in the, in, right here now, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. If, could I, I think about Christians from the past who would be burned to death for being a Christian. Could, could I go through that? And right now, it's like, I don't know for sure, but that's not what it says. He doesn't say, like, you, you're going to get all the strength you need right now. He says, you'll get it in the time of need. It's, yeah, it's not like you're stockpiling it up, right? No, you, yeah, you can't, he's not going to give it to you right now for later. You'll get it when you need it. Okay, so again, a lot of good stuff there. We're going to continue on. Eight says this, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the, the sentence of death, but that was to make us re rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So what's Paul's suffering in Asia? Do, do we know what that looks like? No, not really. He didn't really specify what it was. Again, Paul had gone through all kinds of miserable sufferings, right? 
Um, and he talks about not having an unshaken hope. Because part of the role of a preacher is to, it's been said, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable, right? Yeah. So if you're comfortable, I'm supposed to afflict you. I'm supposed to, you know, shake you up a little bit. If you're afflicted, I'm supposed to comfort you. And of course, we, we tend to prefer comfortable living instead of comfort for living. Paul had gone through all this, so he had experienced God's comfort. It's not like a hypothetical. He's actually able to pass on what God had done for him. So whatever suffering this was, Timothy had gone through it with him too, because he said, we, we've suffered. Uh, Whatever it was, it was very severe, because he said, we were burdened beyond our own strength. Because some people will say, you know, that God won't give you more than you can handle, which is nonsense, right? Because Yes, God's going to give you more than you can handle so that you won't rely on your own strength. If you can rely on yourself, you don't need God. He gives you more than you can handle, so you will turn to him and trust him. Paul says it's because we've got deadly peril here. He says we despaired of life itself. So he was expecting to die, whatever this was. And he said we felt the sentence of death. Now, I don't know if he had officially been sentenced to death. He just says we felt that way at least. Mm. We know the Jews were always hounding him. To, uh, to, to try and eliminate him. So whatever it was, God enables us, and Paul proves it, to, to endure those trials if we'll put our trust in him instead of ourselves. Okay, so, so going off that, is it okay to feel these things or should we try to like put some positive emotions or vibes out there, you know, and speak it into reality? Yeah, you're talking about positive <laughs> confession, you know, some preachers will talk about naming and claiming health and wealth, like just speak your reality into existence, like I'm not suffering, I'm not suffering, you know. Well, that's nonsense, that's denial of reality. <laughs> Jesus suffered, Paul suffered. It's denial of emotional, and there's nothing wrong with feeling emotions. It's just what are you doing with those emotions? I mean, are you, are you turning to God for the help and the hope and the healing that you need? So, look, no matter what happens, you're going to be rescued. You're going to be delivered. It just may, may not be in the way you expect or in the timing that you expect. I think about the apostles. Like James was in prison, but he was beheaded. Peter was also in prison, but he escaped. He was delivered. Why? I don't know. They were both ultimately delivered. I mean, well, For sure. Live or die, it's win-win. <laughs> you know, if you're in Christ, you, nobody can take my life. I'm going to live forever. But the only reason God will spare you from that, will rescue you here and now, is because he wants to keep you around. He's still got something for you to do, and it has to do with helping others. That's why we're still here, in some way, to help others. Okay, so with that said, if Paul has all this confident hope of being delivered, then, then why does he ask for prayer? Well, he says a couple reasons. One would be because he wants God to be glorified through prayers being answered. He says through the, the blessing that's granted, in, through your prayers, thanks will go to God. Mm. So he wants God to be thanked through these answered prayers. And because that's just part of God's plan to partner with us in prayer. That prayer really does matter. Uh, God wants us to pray. Paul often invited people to pray for him. He asked them, and yet we can be so hesitant sometimes to ask people to pray for us. We, we want to we wanna keep what we're going through a secret. We want to be self-reliant. I don't need anybody's help. But look, we're called to share one another's burdens, to pray for one another. So we should ask for prayer just like Paul did. 
instead of, you know, just focusing on ourselves all the time. I notice my prayer life can be pretty weak when I'm just focused on my own problems and my own needs. When, I, when I'm praying for others, it, it gets me outside of that to, to recognize, you know, what I'm going through, uh, God's going to use this and use me as a channel some way to help others. And it, it might even be just to pray. So again, pass on God's comfort to others who are experiencing hardship. Good stuff. So here's a question that, or multiple questions that might, Multiple. <laughs> okay. People might be wondering about is like, what about people who are apart from God that, that don't follow Jesus? They don't know Jesus. How can we afford comfort to them? How can we show that any kind of comfort? What? How do we do that? Well, it's it's limited. If somebody doesn't know Christ as Savior, then whatever comfort you give is going to be somewhat, you know, I don't want to say shallow, but it doesn't really meet their full need. It's certainly temporary. Like somebody's lost their job, and you say, you know, it's okay. You're going to get through this. You. You're going to find another job. If somebody's got the flu, you're saying, well, this is going to pass. You'll be okay, which, which is all true, but it, it doesn't deal with their real need. I mean, think of it this way. Like if a woman has cancer and she stubs her toe and you say, you're going to be okay. Your toe's going to feel fine. That's true, but it doesn't meet her real need. Yeah, like, she's, she's probably not too worried about the toe. <laughs> she, the toe is the more pressing problem. Yeah. But her ultimate need, yes. it's like, how do you comfort somebody who just lost a parent who doesn't know Christ? Mm -hmm. I mean, I hate that when I get that question. I mean, somebody will say, well, what about my mom who died and she didn't accept Christ? Where is she? What happened to her? And I can't give real comfort mm -hmm. because I know the answer. Or somebody who is dying themselves. What real comfort can I give them if they don't have Christ? I, I really can't comfort them at all. If, if a person doesn't know the Lord, then I'm only dealing with surface issues. And that's why Jesus came. Not only to provide care, but the cure. Yeah. Because what we need is a right relationship with God. We need those promises of forgiveness, of, of um, the hope of eternal life. I know what's going to happen to me. Live or die, I, I can't lose. I'm going to live forever. I need the power of God within me today to deal with what I'm going through. I need the paraclete. I need the Holy Spirit, the one to come alongside me, the one to indwell me, to give me not only comfort to cope, but the strength to endure. And so if you have yet to put your trust in Christ, I, I want to invite you to do that right now, to uh, text your name to that number on the screen or email that address and say, I'm ready to receive God's promises. I, I know I can't do it on my own. I know I can't get through this life on my own. I certainly am not going to get through the life to come on my own. I need only what Christ can offer. To, be, to, to repent of your sin. To be baptized into Christ. To experience that cleansing, that renewing, that refreshment that comes from not only having your sins wiped away, but being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to live for God each and every day. So get with somebody after the service. If you're online, contact us. If uh, you're here, come to the front afterward, we meet with one of my friends, or out at the point, out in the lobby, grab one of us, because we would love to help you, to pray with you, whatever adversity or problems you're going through, but most of all, to get you ready for your baptism today. And if you're not quite ready for that, if you're brand new, like, 
Maybe your next step is just to come back next week as we continue on in Second Corinthians. Yes, definitely come back next week. Uh, thank you, Brett. Uh, a lot of great stuff there. Um, but we have a treat for you. We have this video that we just want to show you about some great baptisms where people have given their hope the past couple few weeks. Past couple few. <laughs> Sir. 